Well, glory to God, I was in California this past week and uh, I had to uh, suffer through a heat advisory. <laughs> Literally, a heat advisory. It was 95 degrees for three days straight, so poor me. I mean, it was tough, but, uh, you know, being in Pastor Nancy's meetings, she's been such a wonderful supply to my life and, you know, has ministered to me um, let me change this real quick here, one second. She has ministered to me so many times over the years and uh, just been such a blessing to me. And she's one of the main uh, feeders in my life, you know. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, it didn't disappoint this week either. She, she ministered the word and there was some ministry during the day as well and, and just got direction from God. But what was so exciting too is, uh, I think it would have been, let's see, uh, Tuesday, what day did I go? I went out there uh, trying to think of what night it was. Well, one of the nights anyways, she ministered to me and I like to make sure to let the church know, uh, you know, what she said. And I don't have it written down word for word. I probably should have, but she ministered about things that were ahead. And what seems to be the common theme when ministers uh, have ministered over me lately have been uh, one of two things either the greatness of what's ahead or the opposition that is at hand to keep us out from that. And she had ministered and she said, there's, there's things ahead that I can't even fathom yet that, um, that are still to come and that, you know, basically I would, you'd be able to think. And, you know, there's things God's already told me that we're gonna do around here and things that are gonna happen. And, and it's already on the teetering of blowing my mind. And so when she ministered that, it was a word and season for me and, and just different things. But I'll tell you what, buckle up and hang on because we're going places, amen? Praise God, I'm excited about it. I'm thrilled about it. The miracles, the signs and the wonders are gonna, they're gonna pop, praise the Lord. So let's pray, but if you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Corinthians 10, we'll go there and then we'll pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse one. And I'm gonna go ahead and pray once I get there. Hallelujah. Someday I will uh, compile maybe uh, some of the things that the ministers have spoke over me and just come here because those words are not just for me. Those words are meant for you to get your confession behind, your belief behind. Say, well, what would that sound like? Father, I thank you. Everything that's been spoke over my pastor, every word, it'll all come to pass. Amen. And it's all, it all includes us. And so I'm, I'm super thrilled and I'll compile that because you'll see in those words, wow, there's great opposition, but there's also a great victory and a great, great place in the spirit to be had. So, Father, help us this morning. We're here right now, ready to be fed, ready to walk into everything that you have for us. Speak to us, Father. May my words not be my own, but that of the Holy Ghost. Father, I thank you that when I open my mouth, you'll fill it with words from heaven. And Father, I thank you that bullseyes will be hit. Father, utterance will go forth, boldness will go forth, encouragement, direction, revelation and correction if need be. And Father, we welcome it all. Help us this morning. Father, you know what we need to hear. You know what things need to be said. So Father, we give you the praise and glory. We thank you for uh, supernatural help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse one, I'm gonna read down through a few verses here. It says, uh, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. That's just a, a, a nowadays saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
how all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It's talking about uh, people like Moses, um, the Old Testament people, and it's talking about the cloud. What cloud? That, that, that cloud that God led the children of Israel uh, remember, there was a cloud by day. He said, how do we know where to go? He said, I'm going to put a cloud over your head during the day, and at night I'm going to put a pillar of fire. And then it talks here about passing through the sea. Well, we know what that is. It's the Red Sea. So it's talking about the children of Israel is what he's saying. He says, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But look at this, verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, one thing when I read that verse, I'm st I stop right there because I have uh, a great desire and a great longing to make sure that my heavenly Father is pleased with me. Amen? You know, it's... It's something that we all ought to have where we have this reverent fear of him, of this desire of wanting to be in right standing, our actions, our words, our thoughts, something that he can look down and say, I am pleased. You know, we, we see Jesus talk about saying to people, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, I guess there might be some people that wouldn't be able to qualify for getting that, but I want to be well-pleasing to the Father. But notice the reason here why he wasn't pleased. He said, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. It is never a pleasing thing to God when his people are overthrown or overtaken or overcome. Why is that? Because there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. We've We've been given all the tools through the word of God, through the Holy Ghost, through a pastor, through the church, through the message of faith to overcome and triumph over every single thing that comes our way. Amen? Amen. And that's just the truth. And so he says, I'm not pleased with them. They were overthrown. But then look what it says in verse 6. Now these things were our examples What's an example? Something we can look at, something we can learn from, something we can say, okay, God's not pleased they were overthrown. If, if he's not pleased that they're overthrown, there must be a reason they were overthrown that they shouldn't have been overthrown. What can we learn about that? It says, now, these things were our examples to the attempt that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication. Some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of, the, uh, of serpents. Now look at verse 10. Neither murmur. You know what that word means? To complain. Neither complain, as some of them also murmured or complained, and look at this, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Wait, what did complaining lead to? Destruction. Yes. Amen. Because complaining is really a symptom of a bigger problem. Yes. Amen? Yes. Now, all these things, verse 11, happened unto them for our ensamples or examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are 
come. And so one of the things, there's many different things we can look at, but one of the things that it says in here that the Spirit of God has been dealing with me about for weeks and weeks, I always tell you the way he works with me is on my spiritual radar, like, you know, have you ever seen like uh, in a movie like a, a submarine and it's got that big screen, it's got a big circle on it and there's a line going around it and it's like the radar and then they'll say, oh, you know, and they'll show where the ship is and then they'll be like, ships way off in the distance and as they get closer and closer well that's the only way I can explain is God puts different things on my heart to start meditating and on my spiritual radar they're out there but they they haven't come into port yet and this has been something that today it finally came in and able to preach what God has been sharing uh, with me about this but the thing in this that we see is it says that don't complain as some of them complained and were destroyed of the destroyer. So what we are going to look at for those that have not yet put one plus one together, <laughs> which that's usually me, by the way. I was talking to a guy who was at a, at a gun store and I was asking him questions. I said, well, why is that? And he said, I said, why do people think that? And he goes, because people are dumb. And I wanted to say to himself, well, that's usually me in that category, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and pretend like I'm in the, the smart category. But uh, we're going to talk today about complaining and the dangers of it. And oh, boy, I just have a feeling this could be a quiet service. This could be one where we, I don't know, I'm just preaching to myself too, you know, but where we might have to go home and soak our feet. This pastor stepped all over him, but... The Bible says here, look at, go back to verse 10. Neither murmur ye. It's telling you right there, don't complain like they did and what were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, how can the destroyer get in to complaining? Because we're going to see that complaining is a symptom and a sign of a bigger issue. And that issue is what allows the enemy to come in and to destroy us. Hallelujah. Fun stuff today. <laughs> imagine being me. Can you imagine being me? I mean, how fun would that be? Numbers, go to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 26. We're going to look specifically at their story. Numbers 13, 26. We looked at a little bit of it last week. Of course, we know Numbers chapter 13 is what? That's the chapter where they had come out of Egypt. You know, they're out of Egypt now. They're, they're ready for their next step. And God says what? I have a promised land for you. What did the promised land represent? Increase, blessing, abundance, peace, right? Joy, protection, favor, all the things that we need, all the things that we desire, that we want. And so God said what? Send spies out in the land. And we know what happened, right? Verse 26 they came to Moses, to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, into the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, brought back word unto them and to all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, We came unto the land where he sent us, and it flowed with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled, very great. We saw the children of Anak. Then it goes on and talks about all the different people that are there. And then it says, And... Uh, Verse 31, but the men that went up with him, because Caleb just got done saying, we can do this. And then it said, the men that went up with Caleb said, we're not able to go against the people. They're stronger than we are. They brought up, verse 32, an evil report of the land which they had searched the children of Israel, saying, the land which we have gone to search is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. All the people there we saw are men of great stature. 
We saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come out of, out of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And so God's offering them a promise. Every morning God has offered you promises that you can cooperate to, to begin to move into. And, uh, but what do we see here? We see life happening. Obstacles, hindrances, mountains, uh, opposition, right? A door slammed in their face saying, no, even though God said it, you can't have this. Well, that's life, isn't it? Have you ever found that healing at times doesn't just fall in your lap without a fight? Finances don't just fall in your lap without a fight. The battle for the blessing for your kids and in your businesses and different things. Have you ever realized there's tests, there's trials, there's things there, there's storms, there's mountains, right? We know that. Well, when those mountains come, when that opposition comes, when all of a sudden, you know, our fur gets pet the, wrong, pet the wrong way, our grass gets mowed the wrong way, it is so imperative what our response is. To have the right response and not the wrong response. I always use an example because it's the truth. You know, in school, I remember, uh, and you know, it is funny, but at the same time, it was, it was just... Uh, really a part of my symptoms of depression through uh, school. I remember Mr. Uh, Leonard's math class in 10th grade, and I, at that point, was fully immersed in depression, you know, but I'd get in there, and I would literally put my uh, books to the side, put my head on my desk, and sleep, and Mr. Leonard would make, he just, one of these teachers that didn't care if I was awake or not, would make jokes up, Anderson's sleeping again, you know, and but just because, you know, I went to sleep and stuff, it didn't uh, leave me exempt from having to take the tests that came up. And when the tests would come up, you know, I would, I'd look at that thing and my goodness, I thought, I didn't know I was in uh, a class trying to learn Chinese here. I thought this was math, but it looked like Chinese to me, you know, and didn't understand it. And, uh, and so... I took the test, you know, and got a grade on the test. Well, the test was what? My answers. The, the, my answers, my test was greater. The, the grade I got was based off my answers. And because my answers were wrong, that and only that, right? You sleep through the class, but make sure the answers are right, right? But because I slept through the class, didn't get the information, my answers were wrong. And my grade or my standing in that class and in that school on that report card was a reflection of my answers. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, people's lives are a reflection of their answers. It's the truth. He has given us the answers to every test that we face. It's an open book test. He's told us how to answer, exactly what to answer, how to answer it. But at times, like the children of Israel, and we're going to see something here in a second, we've come into the test, and what does the test represent in school? The opportunity for the good grade for promotion, to move on, to advance, right? And the tests come in life, and on the other side of that test represent a promotion, represent an advancement, but our answers are wrong and we fail the test and then our standing in life shows the results of what we've been answering for years 
and years and years. And here they are. It's there for them, but now it's test day. It's test day. Oh, there's walls there. Oh, there's large people. There's many people there. There's armies already there. There's cities and civilizations already there. Certainly we can't have it. They're bigger than us. We're grasshoppers, yada, yada, yada. And look what came out of their mouth that night, chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice. Well, that's a good start. And cried. Uh-oh. Did anybody see Will Smith slap Chris Rock in the face? I mean, who, anybody living on Rock? My favorite part of that whole video is when Will Smith stands up and you hear Chris Rock go, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't think he knew it was coming, but uh-oh. And that, it's just like that. They lift their voice, that's good. And then it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> and they cried. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, better for you. I mean, you're lucky. You're lucky. What, amen? It said, and they cried, and the people wept that night. Oh, man, this took a turn for the worse. And all the children of Israel murmured. Well, isn't that what he said they did? He said, don't be like them which murmured, and that means complained, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Well, here we go. We're finding it right now. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would God that we have died in the land of Egypt, or it would have been better to die in Egypt, or would God we have died in this wilderness. And here we go, verse 3. And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword? that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us make a captain, let's return. I mean, Moses, this is the quickest hero to zero fall ever. At one point, he was the man that stood at the bank of the Red Sea with an Egyptian army bearing down our necks and he had the faith to believe God and stretch forth that rod and that water opened at that command. And now they're like, let's kick him out and let's get someone better in here. It's not working out. Well, it says Moses, and then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel and Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of uh, Jephuneth, which were of them, searched the land. They rent their clothes. They're frustrated. How? Because Caleb and Joshua were the only two people that believed God. But here we see the test coming. And how do we answer? We answer with our mouths, but they answered wrong. With what? Complaining. Talking about the situation. What are we going to do? It was better before. Forget this stupid pastor. Get a new one in here. God, you did this to us. I hate my life. What are you doing? This is horrible. How could you do this to us? Or, or things are so bad right now. How are we ever going to make it? What are they doing? They're murmuring. What does murmuring get you? you? Told us in the first verse that we look at. Destruction. Amen. Now go with me to the same chapter, verse 26 through 33. Praise God. Same chapter, 26, verse 33. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear, notice this now, 
with this evil congregation. Look what he says right after he calls them evil. Which murmur against me. I have heard, I have heard the complainings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, as I truly live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Yikes. Uh-oh. That's, that's my best Chris Rock impression right there. Uh, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which you have murmured against me. My goodness, he keeps pointing out their problem. You complainers. Whew. Man. Doubtless you shall see the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell there, except for Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones which you said should be a prey, them I will bring in, and you shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until the carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Yikes! But go back to... Verse 27, I want you to see something. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur or complain? You know what complaining in the eyes of God equals? Evil. Evil. Complaining to God in his ears, he sees evil actions. That's not good. That's not good. Evil. Who's evil associated with? The destroyer. Now, go to Romans 4 and verse 20 real quick. Romans 4 and verse 20. We're going to start to show you why this is a bigger, uh, a symptom of a bigger problem and what really needs to be fixed and why complaining is happening. Romans 4 and verse 20 says this about Abraham, believing God in an impossible situation when all the natural says no way. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Or one translation said, he grew strong and was empowered in faith as he gave glory and praised God. Well, what have I always told you? The voice of of faith. Faith has a voice. What is the voice of faith? The voice of faith is praise. When somebody is truly in a place of faith, we know because of their voice. Out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth speaks. They're praising God. Here Abraham has already been promised it. It hasn't come to pass. But what is he doing in the waiting of the promise in fully persuasion, fully expecting, staggering not? He's praising God. Why? He believes. Amen? Romans 15, 13, you don't have to go there, but it says, uh, talks about joy and peace being present when somebody believes. The first thing is joy, praise, thanksgiving, right? But here we go. Now go with me to Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1. If praise is the voice of faith, well, what's the opposite of faith? Doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief also must have a voice. Oh, and it does. Numbers 11 and verse 1. Do you, 
remember what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says? But without faith, it is impossible to what? Please, please him. What pleases God? Faith pleases God. Well, it says here in Numbers 11 verse 1, praise is the voice of faith, but what's the voice of doubt and unbelief? And when the people, what? What's it say? Complained. It displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled. What displeased him? Complaining. But what pleases the Father? Faith pleases the Father. So what is complaining? Complaining is simply the voice of unbelief. Where praise is the voice of faith. Any time that we go into with our mouths a place of complaining about anything, we are taking the stance of doubt and unbelief. What does the word say in Romans? Whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Well, we know that complaining, it displeases God. Faith pleases God, so it has to be the opposite of faith. Complaining is sin. It displeases God. It is doubt and unbelief. Amen. It is something that God calls evil. Now, think about this. The Bible says that they were destroyed of the destroyer. Well, what do we know about Satan in Ephesians chapter 6? Above all, make sure that you take the shield of faith. With it, you'll do what? Quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And what have we tried to tell you? That even we looked at last week, the devil's trying to get that confession out of your mouth, get faith out of your mouth, get faith out of your life, to what? Lower the shield, right? Which gives him an inroad into the believer's life. Well, why were they destroyed of the destroyer? How did the destroyer have his way in? Well, they were operating in doubt and unbelief. They had no faith. Because complaining, murmuring, is the doubt of un, or the voice of doubt and unbelief. That's what it says here. It's very dangerous to be a complainer. And oh my gosh. Can we not say about our own lives, holy cow, I complain a lot. If you really think about things, and look at how God looks at it. And see, how do I say this? Because without accusations towards people, because I'm not accusing, because I, I don't pretend to know it all. But there are things I do know. I do know that God is good. I do know the word is true. I do know that faith is real. I do know that healing is real. I do know that prosperity is real and belongs to people. But I also know peace is real, joy is real, victory is real. But I also know not every Christian experiences and walks into everything that God has said, right? I do know that. And I don't know or pretend to know all the answers. But I do know this, that the Bible says that there are causes. You could be in sin and be sick. Oh yeah, Jesus healed someone and said, now go sin no more unless the worst thing's gonna come on you. You can be in doubt and unbelief and get sick. You can be ignorant and get sick. 
You can be in sin and it affect your finances. You can be in ignorance and it affect your finances. You can be in doubt and unbelief and it affect. What I'm saying is, we don't know all the answers, but what we do know is this stuff works. We have to cooperate with it. But what I want to say and bring out here this morning with this is we know it takes faith for things to work for us. We know that. But if we were to sit and think about our lives in just this one area, is, and this is why services are so important because things get pointed out where we can make adjustments and change. We can in one breath quote Mark eleven twenty three, and Ephesians 6 and 1 John 5 and verse 4 and all these faith scriptures, right? And we can, we can say it and say it and say it. God, you're powerful. God, you're mighty. But if in the next breath we're nothing but complainers and complaining is doubt and unbelief, but over here we're that sounds double-minded. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, for the double-minded man, let not that person think they'll receive anything. So here we are. We complain about things and, and murmur and gripe and uh, all these things. And yet over here, we're confessing and saying and things aren't happening. It's like, well, why isn't it working? Maybe, just maybe, our part. Now, again, I'm not hurling accusations because I don't pretend to know everything unless God reveals to me. I don't, I only know what God shows me, right? But we do see in the word there are causes. We do see in the word there is ignorance. We do see in the word there is doubt and unbelief. Amen. We see it. It's true. And so maybe if we take a look at our lives, am I, maybe I'm not, and I'm talking to myself here. Maybe I'm not such a faith giant. If I were to record myself, from now until next week and go back and listen, would, would what stands out to me, well, that's a faith person. What a complainer. What a griper. What a moaner and groaner. Come on. Trying to help you here. Double-minded. I'll just say it this way, make it easier. You're not a faith person if you're a complainer. See, well, I could, you might be double-minded, but you're not truly a faith person with complaining. It displeases God. It causes people to be destroyed. Now, in Numbers chapter uh, 14 and verse 11, go to Numbers 14 and verse 11. So God, we saw what God was saying their problem was. They complained. Which was really what? Just a symptom of what? They had a faith problem. Look what it said here. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will they provoke me? Well, what does God point out their problem was? Complaining. Look what complaining does. It provokes him. It stirs him up the wrong way. It rubs him the wrong way. And how long will it err, or they err, they believe me or not believe me for all the signs which I've showed among them? And I was thinking, here God calls it evil, God says it provokes him. And I was thinking about my own self as a dad, because my father's my dad, right? And I was thinking of my own self as a dad. And there's a few things with my own children that send me from calm to <laughs> steam shooting out, red face, veins popping. And one of those things that is not allowed in my house that I cannot tolerate 
I cannot stand is when my kids complain. Oh, man, you want to see me get sarcastic and just start getting, go ahead, Caleb and Abby, right? They know. Don't complain in this house. Why? My children have zero reason to complain. Now, I know it's human nature, but we have to get human nature out of our lives and live God's nature. Human nature gets us in trouble. Why does it anger me? Because, what did God say? How long are they going to provoke me? And how, how long will they not believe me for all the signs which I've showed among them? He's saying, basically, how can they do this, talk this way, with every stinking thing I've done for them? And that's what I think as a dad. How in the world can that come out of their mouth when I have done this and this and this and they have this and they have that, right? And I sit there on my platform of my righteous indignation and cast down judgment <laughs> upon my children. From what? The seat of the hypocrite. Because how many of us are the same exact way as them and as kids? And open our mouths. Now, now you think about this. These are people that saw God lead them by a supernatural cloud during the day. It hovered over their, their camp. Wherever it went, they were supposed to go. It represented provision. It represented protection represented favor. At nighttime, when you can't see the cloud, he said, I'm going to light it on fire and I'll guide you. These were people that saw water when they were thirsty come out of a rock. These were people that saw food fall from heaven supernaturally when they were hungry and there was no grocery stores and no, no restaurants around. These were people that saw the Red Sea part and be supernaturally delivered out of slavery for 400 and some years. And God is saying, everything Thing I've done. And that's why I say to my kids, how dare you? But at the same time, Mr. Hypocrite up here, right? As soon as something goes the way that Pastor Mike doesn't like it, rubs me the wrong way. Why is this happening? Right? And our tone changes. And what comes out of our mouth changes and we get into complaining. Now, I want to point this out for you real quick. Think of why it would provoke God when we complain. I'm just going to talk about spiritual things and show you that you have no reason to complain. If we're just looking at spiritual things, whew, we got it good. He gave us Jesus, which, which, which what? All of our sins are forever forgiven. They're never held against us. Do you realize the magnitude of that blessing? We have heaven to look forward to. Can you imagine what life would be like if we didn't have heaven to look forward to? But we do. And in that place, he's got a mansion for each of us. Wow. He has put himself on the inside of us. We have the guide, the seer, the all-knowing one, the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. Man, it's shaping up. It's going to be pretty good for us. We are called children of God. We are in his family. What's that mean? 
Whatever dad has, we're the kids. We have access to it. He's made us righteous as he is. Which if you stand in that place will push condemnation so far out of your life. How many people are down on themselves and against themselves? But he offered you a way out through righteousness. He gave us a GPS to get blessed on this earth. A road map. How to get to healing, how to get to salvation, how to get to prosperity, how to walk in victory, how to walk in peace. He gave us the word. He blessed us with a word and spirit church. Where lives can come and be changed. And he gave us a person, a gift from heaven, a pastor. I'm talking, I have a pastor too. It's changed my life. And he's given us a pastor that delivers our mail and is faithful enough to tell us when we're missing it, how to do it right, the way we need to be talking, the way we need to be thinking. Why? To keep you out of the hands of the devil. If we just stop there, how could anything but thanksgiving and rejoicing come out of our mouths? Because those things right there set you up to have everything else that we have no reason to complain about. I didn't even mention the house that you have to go home to live in. We complain about our situations and a lot of times we complain, you know, look at other people and things or whatever. In the world standards, if we were to line up every human being, I don't even know all your financial situations or where you, I'm just, I just know this is the facts. If we were to line up every human being from start to finish, from most blessed to least blessed, you know where we would be on that list compared to the world? Up towards the front. Do you know how many people would absolutely trade places with you in a split second without even knowing anything? Just the fact that you're in a church in America? It's it. I'll take it. I don't know what kind of car they drive. I don't know what kind of house they have. I don't know where they live, city, country. I will take it. Oh my gosh. Didn't mention your car. Didn't mention your health. Didn't mention, didn't mention the, 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 the blessings you have. Didn't mention your kid. Didn't mention all the good things that we have. Food, access to food, access to water, anytime. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. And yet, what comes out of our mouths when things go wrong? Complaining. Why do we complain? Because our faith has not been perfected yet. And maybe, just maybe if we're complainers, we better back off of patting ourselves on the back of what faith giants we are. You're no faith giant if complaining is coming out of your mouth. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. And I'll show you how to beat this and what should be coming out of our mouths. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. I want to tell you, the definition of complaining is this. It's an expression of discontentment. When we are no longer content, it shows up as an expression of how? Complaining. Because when you're content, you're not complaining. But when you're discontent, you express it through complaining. So complaining is an expression of discontent. Contentment means satisfaction or ease or peace of mind. Well, what does the word say about being content? 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Godliness 
How many know godliness is good? That's being like him. With contentment, what's that mean? Ease of mind, satisfaction, is great gain. See what the Bible says there? When a Christian can walk in godliness but can also walk in contentment, that is what the Bible calls great gain. Don't you want great gain? Great increase, great progress, great gain. And then look what it says in verse 7. Because what happens to our lives? Things go wrong, things are lacking, things are missing, things are being pressed upon. We don't have, we're not satisfied, we're not happy, we're, we're discontent, and we complain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having, here we go, this is, I mean, just blow your mind. Having food and raiment or clothing, let us be there with content. Well, guess what I'm looking around at? A bunch of people that qualify yes. that you should be content. Why? You have food, you have clothing. He says, that is the place where your mind should be at ease. That is the place where you should be at satisfaction. Now, it would seem to contradict the prosperity and abundance and the faith message of believing God for things, but it doesn't. Because we know God promises those things and God tells us to believe him for things. Don't get it mixed up. Contentment does not mean not believing for increase. But it means not being disturbed or uneasy or unsatisfied in the process of believing. Let me give you an example. You have a car that's older. Maybe it doesn't meet all your needs. Maybe the windows don't go down. Maybe the air conditioning. Maybe it's just, it's unreliable and, and you need a new car. Well, we know the Bible says we can have the good of the land. We can believe God for increase, that God wants good things for us. We see that in the Bible. Well, what would that mean then? How would we be content but still in faith? It would be, I'm not troubled by the car I have. I'm not complaining about the car I have. I'm not bitter or, or resentful or uneasy about the car I have. But at the same time, I'm grateful for it. But Father, I thank you for the next one. But while I'm in this one, while I'm in this house, while I have this wardrobe, while I'm in this situation, I am not disturbed. I am not disquieted. That is the definition of contentment. It doesn't mean you can't believe God for more because then look what it goes on to say here. And having food and clothing, let us be content. But they that will be rich, or are, their mindset is on just being rich, they fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Notice this, verse 11. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil. The love of money is evil, amen? And so he's telling us to be content. Go back to verse six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Hallelujah. And so what is the Bible telling us? We should endeavor to be in a place of contentment. What does that mean? If I have food and clothing, I'm content. Well, what's it saying? If you didn't have food and clothing, that's the one time you could be out of contentment. But we all do, we all will have it, amen? What does that mean? This is happening in my life right now. What's your point? You have food, you have food and clothes, you, you stay content. There's great gain in it, it's called faith. 
Well, what about when circumstances are not favorable? Go with me to Philippians 4 and verse 11. Well, when, when circumstances aren't favorable, that, that certainly would be the time, right, to complain. No, that's, that's the wrong answer. Philippians 4.11, Paul says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, something we got to learn, in whatsoever state I am, good car, bad car, good house, bad house, good wardrobe, bad wardrobe, sick, not sick, broke, abundance, right? Walking in blessings, press, trials tested against us, in whatever state I am, to be content. Now that word there, and if we were to read it and amplify it, it says this, this is what content is. Satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted or uneasy. That's what it's saying. Content is when you're satisfied to the point where you're not disturbed or disquieted or in an uneasy place. And when should you be content? If you have food and clothing. So I shouldn't be discontent when sickness comes? I shouldn't be discontent when the devil's... No, you shouldn't be. You mean I shouldn't lose my peace? No. Be anxious for Nothing. And he says that, I've learned whatsoever. I know how, verse 12, to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. What's he saying in verse 11? No matter what state, go back to 11, no matter what state I'm in, I have learned to be content. You know what's crazy about this verse here? You want to know the location of where this was written? It wasn't written poolside. You know the same chapter, if you look up a few verses, Paul said this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul didn't write that sipping a martini on the side of the pool with his feet up and getting a tan, drinking on the beach and enjoying life and barbecuing and having to... No, no, no. He wrote this chapter from prison. And he's saying, I'm content. I'm not disturbed. I'm, I'm not disquiet about anything. Now, why would that be? Because he was a faith man. Faith people, when you are in faith, don't complain. When you complain, it is a sign unto you that your faith has not arrived. Are you listening to this, Mike? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to perfect my faith. I want to tweak things that are off. Amen? What about when circumstances prolonged were not to be that way? What about when things all of a sudden come against us and are just, bam, all of a sudden wrong? Go to James 1 and verse 2. James 1 and verse 2. I'm just telling you what God thinks about this. James 1 and verse 2. Well, what happens when the storm all of a sudden arises? And bam, we're going one way and seemingly we, our ship got tipped over and we're upside down in the water. James 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall, when you fall into something. You know, I remember, I don't even know what happened. One time we were coming off an airplane going to baggage claim and I'm walking with them the next thing I know Courtney and Caleb are on the ground I don't understand what happened just all of a sudden fell well what was that fault 
I don't think they planned it. I don't think they thought, let's go out and fall. I don't think they got tripped over on themselves, but all of a sudden we're walking and I hear, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, that fall was an unexpected thing. It wasn't something that was planned. Well, what happens? We fall into tests and trials. Have you ever just been going about your business and bam! Right between the eyes, financial problem. Right between the eyes, family problem. Right between the eyes, a business problem. Things with our kids, things with our family, things with our lives. It's like, what in the world? What are we supposed to do with our time? Oh my gosh! How is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I go to church. I'm faithful. I speak the word. Okay, you're showing where you're at faith-wise. You are showing where you're at. Again, talking to myself. Count it joy when you fall. Not when you get out of the fall. Not when things get turned around. No, 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 no. Faith people count it joy when they fall. Amen. It's the truth. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. I don't know where the time goes. It's like, all of a sudden we're starting, we're getting towards the end here. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. I'm going to finish today. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Now look at this. Talking about, bam, the test of trials come. Things rubbing us the wrong way. It says, Paul said, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me. So he says, I'm receiving from God. I'm walking into great things. And so I'm not exalted where, I, where, I, where I'm going. The devil's, in the Bible says at the ga uh, gate of increase, there's always uh, opposition. He says, lest I should be exalted above the measure of the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. That means to strike blow by blow. Why? Satan ramped up the attack on Paul because Paul was on a fast track of just tearing his kingdom down. So what Satan do? Ramped up the attacks. Give thorn, uh, Paul a thorn in the flesh to buffet him over and over, lest I should be exalted above measure. We have a verse on that, 2 Corinthians 16:9. At the door of opportunity, there's many adversaries, right? Look at this, verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul's going to God and say, I need this thing gone. I need this thing gone. Now, this is why you can count it all joy, what Paul learned here. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Where? In the midst of that thing. My strength is made perfect when you're weak. So we think when we're in a place of weakness that we're lacking. No, he's saying God's strength makes up for where we're struggling. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. One translation says, take pleasure in. I can still take pleasure. Pleasure is the opposite of discontent. When you're content, it's pleasurable. He's saying in this, I want it to go away, but God is saying, my grace, your grace is sufficient for me that in my weakness, your strength makes me perfect. So even when I personally am going through something, your help brings me up to par. And I can, I can stay in pleasure. So why can you, amen, why can you count it all joy 
when things go wrong because a faith person knows whatever just happened to me, whatever lack just happened to me, whatever adversity, whatever loss I just naturally suffered or seemingly suffered, God is bigger. God is stronger and God is able and God will help me. So therefore, I'm not going to be disturbed or disquieted. I'm a faith person and my eyes on him. But what are we talking about? A sign and a symptom of complaining and discontent shows us our faith is not where it needs to be. Yeah. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. Let's see what it says here. It's dangerous because you're out of faith, but it's also dangerous because, boy, are you a billboard for the devil. Philippians 2 and verse 14. Here we go. Do all things, do all things, do all things, do all things. What's that mean? Go to the job you don't want to. Yeah, when you got to go to grocery store, when you got to do things for your kids, when you got to take that test in school, when you got to do something in school, when you got to do something you don't want to do, when you got to do something you don't like. Do all things without murmurings and disputing. Why? You don't have, you don't have the luxury to get out of faith. Well, today I'm just going to complain. Oh. Let the devil in? Why? See, this is unrealistic. No, you know what's realistic is we are to try to be like Jesus as much as we can, and that man never complained. And that man had lots of reasons. I mean, he'd preach the word, and they'd try to throw him off a cliff. You didn't see him say, here I am, sent. What's going on here, Father? This is everywhere I go, it's problems. Everywhere I go, never changes for me. Never came out of that man's mouth. Why? He was the picture of faith. Glory to God. It wasn't because he was absent from tests and trials. He was just the picture of faith. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless. Wait, what? The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, notice this, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Remember when Jesus said you are the light of the world. Now, naturally, what does that mean? That when I got saved, nothing naturally started glowing on me. There was no, my skin didn't, there wasn't like a, a radiance. But spiritually, I was in darkness. I was translated into light. And now I have the light on the inside of me. In the spirit realm, you have to understand this, in the spirit realm, in a world that's filled with darkness, you stand out like a sore thumb because you're the light of the world. In the spiritual realm, you are a light. You stand out. Well, things in the spirit come up to the natural and into our minds. Do you know how often the world is looking at us for a response to COVID? What's our response to lack of food and rumors and financial? What's our response to the gas prices? What's our response to when things come against our body? What's our response when we're out in the world and how people act? You don't even realize you are an ambassador for Jesus. You are not your own. You don't have a right to just say what you want. You don't have a right to just give your opinion. You're not yours. You are not yours and it is dangerous to put off that. You know what we ought to put off? Love and faith 
and joy and victory. Praise God. You don't have a right to live how you want to live. You don't understand the danger. I was a broken down individual prior in the summer of 2001. And I was on a baseball team with, it was a, a traveling league. It was called Alley Cat, which was Allegheny County, Cattaraugus County mixed together. And you'd travel around on um, Saturdays and play baseball uh, against the other teams. And so there's a lot of just all grown men on the team. And, and, you know, the whole team's just always complaining about their wives, about their situation, their lives, their bodies, this and that. And here I'm broken down. I'm, I'm miserable in life. And, and like, the only thing that brought me peace was whether I would put substances in my body and gambling or when I was playing baseball. And so I, I still played because it was, it was like my sanctuary for me. And there was a, a gentleman on a team by the name of Reverend Randy Nelbone. And uh, he's a minister out of Pastor Tim's church in Jamestown. And I, he never complained he always was full of joy. He was always kind. He was always, you know, we're telling jokes back and forth. He'd, he was a great listener. And he just stuck out like a sore thumb while he was a Christian. And as a hurting person, I was drawn unto him because of the way that he was. And what happened? I ended up getting bored again. I could tell stories of myself at workplaces. As a born-again believer, walking and filled with the Holy Ghost, when things would come uh, across my plate personally or the boss would be unfair or have to do a job that no one liked, I just would have joy and do it in peace and, or if something would happen, I'd, I'd you know, speak faith. And I've led people to Jesus that way and they would say to me, man, when everyone else was complaining, when everyone else was grumbling, when everyone else was worried, when everyone else was afraid, there's something different about you and I was drawn to it. Well, yeah, they're hurting. Their hurt is drawn to help. Amen. And the Bible says that you may be blameless and harmless. You are harmful when you are complaining at work, complaining to your family, complaining. And it's like the world needs something to look to and grab onto and say, that's my help, that's my answer. But when we act like the world, anybody's toes hurt yet? People are watching us. People are watching us. What is your response when finances are threatened at work? When jobs come across at work that you're not fond of doing? What's your response to your family when things come against you? People are watching. People are watching, amen? Now I want to close with this. I want to give you the cure. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16. What's the cure for this complaining? What's the cure for this mumbling and grumbling and groaning and moaning? Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now remember, this isn't just a suggestion. This is your life help. Rejoice evermore. What's that mean? Always. Well, Paul said the same thing, right? In Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. What's prayer? 
It's just the same as rejoicing in the sense, just a different way of praying. Prayer is just what? Constantly having your heart turned towards God and constant communication and fellowship with Him. I heard a statement this week and I loved it because it's so helpful. You know, my job as a minister is really twofold. Remember the book of Acts when there were too many people coming in and they needed people to serve the tables? There, there was things that needed to be done in the church, like, like what? Wash the windows, serve a nursery, serve in the sound booth, someone usher, someone come clean during the week, children's church, all these things, there's help. And the, the apostle said, it's not right that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And he said, find people to do it while we give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is my job description. To pray and to be in the word. Your job description might be, I have to teach for eight hours of the day. Your job description might be, I have to milk cows for hours a day. And God's not asking you to spend 10 hours in prayer a day. Your job description is different. But he is still telling the Christian, pray without ceasing. And I heard a statement this week from Pastor Nancy, and she said, we ought to live to pray. Or pray while we live. What does that mean? I can talk to God milking the cows. There's times at my job when I'm teaching that I can communicate with him. There's time when I'm driving truck on the road, I can talk with God. There's times in the daycare that I run that I have time when, when, when I can just talk to him and mention him and keep him without, throughout my day, right? And don't misunderstand me. There's times we should set aside time. We don't, but I'm just saying, don't get a yoke around your neck thinking, it's not going to work for me if I'm not praying in tongues for two, three hours a day. God, God understands that, but God also knows and expects us to have a relationship with him and pray without ceasing. What's that mean? Just continually be in constant communication with him. And then look what it says in verse 18. In everything. Oh man, that kind of sews it up, doesn't it? Everything. What's everything? Even when it's not feeling good. Now, in everything give thanks. What's that mean? Oh, thank, thank you, Father, for this sickness that came on me. No, that's not what he's talking about. But in that sickness, don't stop giving thanks. Father, I thank you for an opportunity for my faith to work. I thank you for an opportunity in this sickness to see your power. I thank you that you're a healer. You see, see what it is? Oh, Father, I thank you so much I'm broke. Nope. Father, I thank you that in this natural appearance of brokenness, I thank you that you're my provider. I thank you that the money will come, right? In everything, don't complain in everything. In everything, give thanks. And last but not least, Psalm 34, 1. Psalm 34, 1. We have some work to do, don't we? I know I do. Maybe you don't, but I do. Mr. Faith Preacher up here, I got work to do. Because there's nothing that should be happening besides rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Look what it says in Psalm 34, 1. Uh, I love that. Did you like that new song? God is great and greatly to be praised. But then what does it say? And his praise shall always be in my mouth. If we're really singing and worship to him, we better watch our words and not be liars to him. Oh, your praise is always going to be in my mouth. Really? Did you listen to yourself yesterday? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
So we have this bottle of water, of course, it's about maybe, I don't know, a third full here, which means there's a whole lot of space for something to be put in there, right? But when this bottle is filled with water and it's unopened yet, there's very little room for anything else in there, right? If we would endeavor to live our days full of praise, full of thanksgiving, full of communication with him, there would be no room for the doubt and unbelief. There'd be no room for the complaining. There'd be no room for the grumbling which got them stinking destroyed. Why do we complain? Because something got empty. We're able to fill something else up in there. I will bless the Lord at all times. No room for doubt and unbelief there. No room for complaining there. No room for griping there. No room for woe is me there. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Sounds like it's pretty full. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. You are sharpening us to get us. This is a disgusting habit, Father, complaining with all that you've done for us. We have no reason to complain. And even when things go bad, we have no reason to complain because you're our answer. You are our answer. You are our help. You are our strength and our weakness. You are our provision and our lack. You are our health in our sickness. You are our peace in our confusion. You are our protection in seeming danger. Thank you, Father. We never lack anything. We always are fully supplied. We always have the answer. We always are blessed. And so therefore, we have nothing but praise to come out of our mouth. Let's practice. Let's just rejoice. Give him thanks. Repent if you need to. And I'm going to start right there. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for grumbling against you. Forgive me for complaining against you. I mean this, Father. Forgive me for the times that I have let doubt and unbelief in that fashion or that form come out of my mouth. I have nothing to complain about. I have nothing to grumble about. Even in my trials, even in my weakness, you are my completion. You are my perfection. I want to be a faith person, not a double-minded person. So I repent and I praise you, Father. I thank you for change. I thank you, Father, for new things coming out of our mouths. Words of victory, a flow of victory. Yeah, complaining is a flow of defeat, a flow of destruction. Grumbling and complaining is not the flow of victory. It is not the flow of increase. Help us, Father. Help us in Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, please, nobody looking around. All those that can hear my voice right now, ask yourself this question. If today were my last day on planet Earth, would I go to heaven? When I ask myself that question inside my own head, the answer is absolutely. And I don't get the answer from a person. I didn't get the answer from a feeling. I didn't get the answer from a thought I had or what religion told me. I got the answer from the Bible. The Bible says if I'll believe on Jesus, John 3, 16, and call on his name, Romans 10, 13, that I will be saved. I first believed in Jesus in my heart of hearts on January 10th, 2002. The decision was put before me or the, the opportunity to receive Jesus and I believed in him. I didn't understand everything. I didn't know the Bible, but in my heart of hearts, I knew Jesus was real. I knew that he died and rose again. And then once I got to that place, 
I called and invited him into my life because you must invite him in. He's not the SWAT team or a thief. He won't break the door down or barge his way in. He's waiting for an invite. Faith will invite him in. And so if you're listening and you can say, Pastor, I thought I was going to heaven because I was a good person. That won't get you in. Or I didn't think I could go to heaven because I'm not a good person. That can't keep you out. Pastor, I thought I was going to heaven because I went to church. That can't get you in and not going can't keep you out. It's believing and receiving Jesus. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, and if you prayed this before, I don't care if you've had a bad decade. You don't have to ask him to save you again. Just repent for your wrongdoing. If you made a commitment at some point in your life, he's not taking that away from you. He said, I'll never leave you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning or listening online, you say, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I want to receive Jesus. Would you lift your hand high in the air if you've never prayed that before? Anybody at all want to receive Jesus this morning? Again, you're not joining the church. You're joining his family, which means heaven for you, which means help for you. Anybody want to receive Jesus before we close in this service? Just lift your hand high in the air. I'll have you put it right back down. Anybody at all? Father, I don't see a hand in the building, but if by chance there's someone in here that wants to receive you or is watching now or in the future by the, by the live stream archive, I pray that ain't nobody would pass from this life until they've received Jesus. And if you're watching and you say, I, I need him, I need to accept him, just get with him after this service is over and cry out to him. Declare your belief and invite him into your heart. And it would sound like this, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you're real. And I ask you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. And if you'll pray that and mean it, He'll save you, forgive you, become a father unto you, and then just send me an email and give me a phone call. Let me know you prayed that. I want to help you with your next uh, steps in life. Hallelujah. We thank you for salvation, Father. Let's stand up today. Let's give him thanks for some of these things of salvation, of righteousness, of heaven, of the forgiveness of sins, of the Holy Ghost, of your pastor, of the church, of the word of God. Are we thanking him for this stuff? Don't be an unthankful child. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for all those things mentioned. You have put me in a position to succeed. You have shown and demonstrated how much you love me by all that you've given to me. I thank you for it. I only have room to praise you. I only have room to give you thanks. You've been so good to me. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. We love you. We thank you for help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget fellowship over there. Love you, appreciate you. You are dismissed.